Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, welcome to The Guinea Pig. I'm Dr. Mariam Zamani, an oculoplastic surgeon and aesthetic doctor. And I'm Fiona Golfa, a writer and journalist. I'm no stranger to a cosmetic procedure, and I'm willing to try pretty much anything. Which is why I'm here to make sure Fiona and anyone else that's out there considering a treatment to help make a better informed decision safely and to try and collect as much information as they can. Every fortnight, this podcast comes to you from Mariam's Clinic in Chelsea. If you're looking for an honest, no-holes-barred approach to invasive and non-invasive cosmetic surgery, then the guinea pig is here to help you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Guinea Pig. In today's episode, we're going to look at two subjects, both of which can cause a huge amount of distress to those who suffer from them. Fiona mentioned concerns about her bladder control a few weeks ago and what can be done, and we're going to catch up to her about that. But first, we're going to discuss another condition you also suffer with. So tell us what it is, Fee. Self-obsession, Mariam. Um, <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> as you know, Mariam, I'm one of those people who suffer from rosacea, and I sent you some photos of a recent outbreak. So I'm delighted to welcome someone who can help me and others of my kind, Dr. Alexis Granite, who's with us in the clinic. Hello, Alexis. Hello. Yay, so happy to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. Alexis and I also work together here at the clinic, so it's really nice to have somebody who we trust and admire on the show with us. Thank Thanks. you for coming. Thanks for having me. Shall we talk about the basics first? What is rosacea? So we talk about rosacea, everybody thinks they have a little bit of rosacea, but, but what actually would you define as rosacea? Yeah, so basically there are, you can think of rosacea as having sort of four different types the main one, which a lot of people describe, is where they have redness or flushing. And so that's called erythematotelangiectatic rosacea. And to be honest, that's probably the hardest type to treat. And then you also have papillopustular rosacea. So that's where people get sort of like acne-like bumps on their skin. You can have ocular rosacea, which you would know about, obviously, yep. um, as an eye doctor. And then phimatous rosacea, which is, you know, we all know the sort of photos of the older men with the big bulbous noses. Um, that's, that's phimatous rosacea. And the thing with rosacea is that you may not have just one type of rosacea. You can certainly sort of go between different categories and progress from one category to another. So the one that Fiona is talking about, you're looking at her right now. She's a little flushed. I'm being stared at. Uh, yes, but we're glaring now, actually. We're looking at you lovingly. I'm take my glasses off so that you can see my... And I've got no makeup on today. So do you ever get bumps on your skin, or is this pretty yes. typical for you? So if you look closely at my forehead, it's not bad today, but I get what look like 
sort of quite pussy spots. Yeah. Some of them are quite red and livid. Some of them do have something in them. And I can sort of, I might squeeze them and they might even go down during the day. It might start very violently and vibrantly in the morning and be much, much, much less by lunchtime even. Yeah. But so it's very spotty on my forehead. I might get a sort of crusty outbreak, attractive word, around my nose. And I get a sort of what looks like a flushing in my cheeks. And if you look closer, I think it looks like a kind of capillaries. Yeah. So I would probably say you sort of bridge two categories, <laughs> sort of mainly erythemato telangiectatic. So the mainly the redness is your sort of primary, although you're being treated, which we'll talk about further. So that might be obscuring it a little bit, but I would say mainly the redness. Um, and then you also have a bit of the sort of breakouts or papillopustules that are associated with rosacea. So is this the most common type? Because, you know, there are a lot of that. I, I personally, I grew up loving this look. So no, I, I have rosacea it. too. So, and I, it drives me crazy, but is that why your cheeks are slightly flushed? Yeah, always. So See, I think that's blush on the face, but you know, uh, basically I think that that's something, you know, one person's hatred is another person's like, but so in general though, there are a lot of in, we live in London, there are a lot of Rudy sort of reddish looking faces and so most of those people probably suffer from a little bit yeah of this. i mean the thing is um so it's extremely common I actually just looked up some statistics uh, earlier in the week but it's estimated that 415 million people worldwide suffer from rosacea so it's a huge yeah. number of people and one in ten um of people who are sort of celtic or northern european in ancestry also suffer from rosacea so massively massively common especially in fair-skinned people and yeah, I mean, it's it's the scourge for people who suffer from it. <laughs> but I wonder, does it is it um, is it environment led? Because I went to India recently, and I thought I don't want to be taking. We'll talk about what medication I do take in a while, but I I just stopped taking all medication, and uh, my skin was absolutely brilliant. And I literally got off the plane coming home, boom, you know, before I'd got out of the airport, I yeah. had I had a spot on my face. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely it's one of those conditions, and there's a lot of them, like diabetes, for example, which we call multifactorial, meaning there's an inter- there's a sort of complex interplay of your genetics, so there's a big genetic component, um, but then there are aspects of your environment that will certainly draw it out, and stress is a huge one, so it could be that you stepped off the plane and stepped into back into your stressful life or whatever it is, and then it's just like, boom, it's there. So rosacea is considered an inflammatory response or inflammatory condition. So what are the things that trigger it? Or like, what are the, what's the science behind the inflammation that happens? And what, what are some little things that can be, I mean, obviously those who suffer rosacea, there are, there are some triggers that can, uh, that can lead to worsening of symptoms, things to avoid, but is there sort of a uniform uh, etiology, so to say that, uh, yeah. for, for all patients, no matter what subtype they have? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the current thinking on rosacea is basically that there's sort of three aspects involved in why it develops. So there's inflammation, as you said, and some sort of abnormal inflammatory response within the skin to things that other people are not responding to. And then there's um, sort of what we call neurovascular sort of dysregulation. So that means that the nerves and the vessels are not behaving normally in the skin, which is why a lot of you know, people will experience flushing, for example. And the last thing is um, is microbes on the skin. So we are obviously covered in lots of bacteria and yeast and mites. And for whatever reason, people with rosacea are more sensitive to many of those things, although we haven't really figured out exactly what. what. And so when you talk about treatments or things to avoid, we have to sort of keep those three 
key aspects in mind. And I think, you know, for rosacea, probably in general, sort of principles in terms of skincare would be just less is more. That's number one. So Fiona was just telling me she's trying this and trying that. And I was like, "Mm, (laughs) for rosacea, (laughs) I generally say I have sort of made a um, decision recently to try and use products that have got as few, if you like, additives or perfume or glycolic Things like that. I'm very careful not to use things like that because I don't want anything to overstimulate it. I mean, years ago, I saw a dermatologist who said to me, you know, if you are overweight or stressed, that's going to exacerbate it. Well, I tick both boxes. (laughs) So that was also, you know, if if I think... I don't really notice that I that I see a difference if I put on or lose a few pounds. Yeah. But um, or heat or or what about hot foods? Yeah. So I think sort of the main triggers, you know, um, I'm not sure about weight, uh, but definitely stress is a huge thing with anything with skin. So we see that all the time. Acne, psoriasis, eczema, everything across the board. So that's a huge factor. Um, and then things that make you flush. So exactly what you said, sort of heat, even wind and sort of extremes of temperatures. Uh, sun is a big trigger. Uh, things like hot beverages, so coffee and tea, uh, spicy foods. <laughs> so it's kind of alcohol. ruining your everything. Like ruining my life here. Yeah. So alcohol, alcohol exercise, yeah. steam sauna. Yeah. So steam sauna, I will not. I so because I suffer too. I will not go near a really? steam sauna. I have not been in one for. Do probably, I get like? Do I am I am I what about like the infrared uh, sauna? So that have would you tried pro- that? I haven't tried it. It would probably be okay. I mean, I think part of the problem is that rosacea is a condition that typically occurs a little bit later in life, somewhere like 30s, 40s. So by then you've already been, you're like, well, well I don't understand. Why can't I use the 85 products that I was using before? Yes. Or why can't I go in the sauna? Or, But it's just that you know, your skin just doesn't allow it anymore. Mm. So I don't know. I can feel it. I mean, I can feel it even now. It's like I get very hot and then it yes, gets, get gets worse. I get <laughs> Because hot. then it's you feel it happening. Cycle. And then you even get more self-conscious about it. And then... You just feel the redness creeping up. It's it's very hard to control that aspect. That is probably the flushing aspect is the hardest bit to control. So I think what I generally also recommend for patients is if they come in sort of with a new diagnosis of rosacea, I think it's good. It's a little bit cumbersome, but good to kind of keep a diary, let's say, for between two and four weeks of things that potentially make you trigger that, you know, whether it's the coffee or being in a hot sauna or whatever it is. And that way, you know, for sure, sort of things that maybe you need to avoid that someone else with rosacea might not have so much problem with. So these symptoms that come up, so say you want to take a really hot bath, you would never take a really hot bath, you take a cold bath. Yeah, I mean, or I'd take a hot bath when I wouldn't be seeing anybody for a few hours. For a few hours. But the the symptoms typically last, but they're so debilitating. I mean, I was reading a study that said how... It's so fast. It's so quick to arrive on the skin. It's so quick to arrive. It's also so quick... To go. That's yes. what's so odd about it. And you can wake up in the morning. I look then, like, you know, and, and by lunchtime, I think that's so weird. Yeah. And part of the problem is that as rosacea progresses, which it often can, you don't just get then, you know, intermittent flushing, you get persistent flushing. So then you're just sort of making the flushing worse by then doing other things, you know, that are making your capillaries and blood vessels dilate. Like so is it hormonal? Because a friend of mine who we share got unbelievably bad rosacea when she was pregnant. I got mine when I was perimenopausal. I haven't seen my daughter who, when she went through puberty, she didn't get 
what I would call any signs of rosacea. So yeah. is it something? Yeah, definitely. I think there is a hormonal component and it's, you know, it's, it occurs in both men and women, but for sure, I think more commonly seen in women. And I think there are sort of hormonal triggers, whether it's a shift in your hormones, whatever it is that sort of um, plays into it and stress too. That's a huge, as it's a huge contributor to rosacea, probably a lot of it has to do with the stress then affecting hormones, which then affect your skin. So what am I going to do? So what are what are the treatment <laughs> options? So I guess there are lots of different types, but the one that seems to be the most debilitating are the ones that you can actually see the visible symptoms of. So the the flushing, sometimes the rosacea acne, the acne that comes with it yep. as well, and then you know, for men that's a or with the I, I can never say that word thymidus. Ph- yeah. I can't say it. Actually, I can't even say the first one. I'm always <laughs> I, I think I didn't I didn't learn phonics properly when I was growing up, and I stay away from from big words, but um, <laughs> basically, uh, what are the main treatment modalities from things people can manage easily? So if they're thinking they have rosacea, obviously keeping that diary would be like a really great way to see what, if they have any triggers. And then, you know, how to sort of manage that on their own, when to see a doctor and, yeah. you know, just, a, we're not going to go through every single treatment, but like, what are the treatment yeah, sort of yeah, options yeah. out there? I brought my medication in to show you. I've been taking... Is it called Phenacea yeah. gel? Mm-hmm. I've been taking Metrogel, and I've been taking, and this is the one that distresses me really, doxycycline, 100 milligrams of doxycycline every single day. And it's not that I'm that fussed about taking pills, but I don't want to be taking lots yeah, of pills. Yeah, of course. And it kind of distresses me because I have no idea how powerful these are, but it's it kind of feels like it keeps it at bay, yep. but not completely at bay. Yeah, I mean... So you're on a good regimen. I mean, basically with rosacea and similar to acne, a lot of times we want to try several different treatments all at once, which will complement each other. And remember, we said that rosacea has a few different components. So, you know, some sort of microbes on the skin, inflammation, and then that sort of dysregulation of the nerves and the vessels. So you're on things that are helping with sort of two out of three. Okay. <laughs> um, so we two of the things that you're on are topical. So those are creams that you put on your skin. Phenacea is is a great anti-inflammatory, so that's azelaic acid. Yeah. Uh, and we use that sometimes for pigmentation and for acne, but it also works quite well in rosacea. And then metronidazole, which is what's in metrogel, is an antibiotic, so it's a topical antibiotic. And that's both an anti-inflammatory and also working against bacteria on the skin that may be contributing to the rosacea. Also a bit of a nightmare because when you do use it topically, it sort of peels. Yeah, so it, actually so you can't I'm, really put it on with your dip. If yeah. you're putting on face cream or you're trying to go to the office but you're kind of dealing with your rosacea, know that you're going to look like you're flaking a bit. Yes, although not. I will say that I am not a huge fan of gels for rosacea. Okay. So you can use that in, in a cream form. <laughs> yeah, which I can give you. Okay. Uh, so, but I prefer in general more emollient bases. Okay, is that because it's a, a gel, not a cream? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So again, when you're talking about things that people can do kind of on their own at home before, you know, before yeah. the level of seeing a doctor, I think using things that are specifically for sensitive skin, for redness, those are things that you want to look for when you're shopping for products, um, especially I use moisturizers. Quite yeah. a lot. So I love the Aven, Toler- um, the Tolerance range, the La Roche-Posay Tolerian range. What was that? Um, Tolerian. They're very Tolerian. similar, but okay. they're basically targeted for redness relief and sensitive skin. Um, I also really like a moisturizer by SkinCeuticals called Redness Neutralizer, which okay. I think is quite good. And then 
Kiehl's makes one called Skin Rescuer. They're all kind of the same family idea, but targeted for people that have sensitive skin. And what should I avoid? I mean, I know I said that I avoid anything with the sort of that I feel is too scented or... Yeah. But what else should I avoid? So in general, I would say... You know, some people with rosacea have a little bit hardier skin, so they can exfoliate. But by and large, massive amounts of exfoliation are not needed in someone who has rosacea because I think that's typically going to cause irritation. So whether that's physical exfoliants like little grains and scrubs or the Clarisonics that people like, no, I would not use any of that. Okay. Um, And then chemical exfoliants like peels or glycolic acid, again, probably not great for someone who has rosacea, especially if they have a lot of redness. And then for the doxycycline that you're taking, you know, that's doing sort of two things. Again, it's it's an anti-inflammatory and an antibiotic. You're on a, you know, a reasonable dose. Sometimes we give what we call a sub-therapeutic dose, which is sort of half of what you're taking now. So you're on 100 milligrams a day. There's a form of doxycycline, which is called afrasia, and that's a 40 milligram capsule that you take once a day. And again, in that situation, it's not being used as an antibiotic. It's really all about an anti-inflammatory. Because long term, yeah. So it's I not, worry about what this is going to. I mean, long term, what is it going to do? To yeah. Me? So I mean, I I generally tell people with rosacea that you take those pills or those capsules for a period of time and try to then take a break. So let's say you take that for three to six months and okay. then try to stop, maybe control with just the creams, and then for periods that are just very rough, rough patches, whatever they are, then you take the oral medication because you're right. We you know it's not ideal to be on an antibiotic. Long term. Mm. Because obviously, again, this is a big area of research with rosacea too. There's a whole link between the gut and the skin, and we're just sort of figuring out what that is. And so it seems that the goal is to subside the acute flare ups, do a few lifestyle modifications, and then try and switch around between. I like the no um, exercise, I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm really keen on the no exercise. Between, you know, some other treatment modalities. So you were saying there's topical treatment modalities. So what are the categories of those? Is it just, yeah. are they, so, talk us so through those. So two that she's, that Fiona is using. So one is an antibiotic, so that would be something like metronidazole. Um, then there's the anti-inflammatories, which is something like azelaic acid, which you're also on. There's another one, which was very, um, had a lot of excitement when it first came out. And those are basically, um, they target sort of the, the vascular dysregulation I was talking about. So they basically, they're called alpha-2 agonists. And they essentially cause constriction of blood vessels. Bromidine. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, bromonidine. Yeah, I know. Bromidine. I'm really talking tech now. <laughs> there's a few. There's one. my phonics. <laughs> there's one form in the UK and a couple different forms in the US. Um, the problem with those is that they seemed great because they really make the flushing reduce. But then people were having horrendous mm-hmm. rebound. So once it wears off after 12 hours or whatever it is, you are just like be red. So there's a newer one in the U.S. which I actually haven't used, but it uh, they report a little bit less of a rebound. So that that's an area where maybe we can hopefully build on a little more in terms of topicals because that would really help with the flushing aspect. Um, But for the moment, those are basically the three main categories of topical treatments. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So you were just talking about this, you know, correlation, potential correlation with the gut and the skin in terms of rosacea. I was also doing a little bit of reading in you know, prior to this podcast and it was talking about prebiotics and probiotics yeah. in terms of, yeah, so um, I was, that's what I, I was going to say. I, I take Simprove every day, Yeah. for example, which is, a, do, you, do, you, do, you take, do you take, you know Simprove? what? I bought it and then I never used it because that's I what it. I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I but do. But don't too. we all, we all buy it and then we do it. But I've really used it a lot for about a year. Yeah. And I've noticed a big difference. Yeah. If in nothing else, the way my gut moves and I mean moves. Yeah, so yeah. I take it, you know, 10 minutes before I eat my breakfast. Yeah. The next thing I know is just like that. It, it's just changed my life. Prebiotics is what you take prior to digestion. It's rich in fiber. Um, and it basically helps to increase the growth of lots of different microbiomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probiotics okay. are life, my, live microbiomes that are being increased because you're adding them to your, to your gut. So that's something, just in case you didn't know, pre and probiotics. I have no idea. Yeah, prebiotic is like the food that the probiotics eat. Okay, so you need to have your pre to feel your yeah. I mean, it could just be fiber. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be in form, but fiber would be considered a prebiotic, for example. It's the nutrients basically that help the microbiomes. Okay, and so long as all of that is working very efficiently, that's helping the skin. A hundred percent. Yeah, and I think we haven't quite elucidated. You know, I mean, you can go to the store and you see there's thousands of different varieties of probiotics and we don't really know exactly which strain is right for which condition or even which strain is right for you versus me versus Mm Miriam. you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. there may be some variability in that but I think generally I do recommend most people with rosacea to at least try a probiotic for let's say a month and see if they notice any appreciable difference because I certainly don't think it can hurt do you take a probiotic when I remember when you you remember do you you take a, a, a prebiotic no why, why not? Would a prebiotic be in your lazy. diet, surely? Yeah, I mean, or I if you have a well, I mean, you eat yeah, really I'm well, a vegetarian, I know. So I do I mean, try to eat a lot of fiber, but. There's more salad going on in this room than you can <laughs> shake a stick at. <laughs> These women all come in with their lunches and it's like yeah. a sort of advertisement for healthy yeah. living. Does sugar um, exacerbate it, actually? That's quite interesting. Um, or there's coffee? No, so coffee only really because it's hot, hot generally, but not, so there's no link to coffee. coffee okay. it, yep. So no link necessarily to caffeine or coffee per se and then the thing with sugar is there isn't there are no studies that directly link sugar with rosacea okay Um, same with gluten and same with dairy so people often will i mean people might try different diets to see if one works better for them and i never discourage that but i also don't think it's worth torturing yourself and you know eliminating everything from your diet when really there's not a lot of scientific evidence behind it and then what about omega-3 fatty acids i was also reading that there that's also thought yeah. to potentially improve. Yeah, I think basically because those have anti-inflammatory effects. So there's a lot more research with those and psoriasis. So I generally recommend them with psoriasis. But again, it can't hurt to try. These are not things that are going to hurt you in any way. And light treatment? 
Yeah, so so despite you know besides because the, there, there are bars opening up all over London yeah, for, yeah. with with LED light treatments. Yeah, and a friend of mine, a, a man actually in his fifties, who really looks, you know, like he's been up a mountain without any anything on his face. He really, and he said this is rosacea. He's really, it's really. But he drinks and he's you know he lives in Scotland and he's out in the yeah in the wind and he does all the things that yeah, you're yeah, saying don't do. But that's his life. So yeah. um, no, absolutely. So if you know you're using topicals, maybe taking the antibiotics every now and again, but then you really feel like you still need other treatments to help. LED treatments, I think, are great, especially red light, because, again, it's working sort of as an anti-inflammatory. And but it then, has to be alongside all of, all of the other. Yeah, I generally yeah. probably wouldn't do that in isolation, unless you have very, very mild rosacea. Um, and then also things like laser. So pulse dye laser, IPL, those are very good for redness and for broken capillaries which we often see with rosacea. But they're not cures. So I think the the big point here is that a lot of times people sometimes come into the office and they want to have a cure and there's no cure. It's kind of like, I, I like saying gray hair because now I have gray hair. <laughs> it's like you can cover them up, but then, yes. you know, they come back again. So it's a maintenance. It's not it's not something that you do once and you can say, oh, they're, they're banished it's forever. It's such an odd thing that it's not a curable, isn't it? It's you not. think it's such a kind of obvious one, but yeah. it's, it's so it's, tricky. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like one of the first patients I had at this clinic actually came in and she had rosacea and she was very upset that I couldn't fix it in, in one visit. And yeah. I said, this is just isn't. And to be honest, sometimes like same with the colorist, you go to a colorist cover, you don't always love the color at first. Yes. You got to work on it. So it's the same with rosacea. If the, if the first regimen you try maybe isn't hundred percent right, we can play with it. You know what I mean? So there are options, but sometimes it is a little bit of trial and error. How long do you think is a good treatment um, trial to do in terms of, uh, so I always tell people for skincare in general to give it, you know, at least four to six weeks because it takes that long for, for the body to, to start working properly, but you know, it start it start reacting to what you've treated it with. So yeah. what do you say, like say a regimen isn't working. So how often, like how time consuming is this for somebody who's already bothered by, by their issues and, and wants to try and deal with it? Yeah, I would say, um, topical stuff you have to give probably at least more like eight to 12 weeks, but the antibiotics should work in the shorter time frame. So maybe four to six weeks. So sometimes, especially if someone's never had any treatment and they come in and they are really distressed about their skin, then I might say, okay, here, why don't we take this antibiotic for two or three months to really just jumpstart your treatment, hopefully get you off of that and then control you with, let's say a combination of creams and maybe some LED treatments. And actually, I mean, well, you know, of course from your skincare line, but there's some amazing home LED masks too. So that makes it a lot more accessible because you have a you have a home I LED do mask. I do have yeah. a nice maybe home. I should try it maybe. yeah God knows I spend enough time with you I should try your mask <laughs> you can come on Saturday and we'll just push you a mask stop or... I'm gonna do a little guinea pig here how long I, have you been on that oh for like a hundred years yeah really but you don't take though. it but you don't take it routinely do you well I stopped in India but I take it every day yeah. yeah I take it every day and apart from anything else if you can't get it prescribed on the NHS it's an expensive yeah problem to have rosacea because it doesn't go away so you're always having to top up. I wanted to ask you though, does it only restrict itself to face? Why don't I have it on my chest or my back, for example? Yeah, it is um, generally restricted to the face. And probably that has to do with a combination of just how many oil glands and, you know, the composition of the skin on the face and probably something to do with the microbes as well, because that's where they live, depending on the, the type of skin that you have. So you can definitely get flushing on the neck and the chest, though. Um, but that maybe we wouldn't necessarily call rosacea. And the thing is, sometimes people have flushing and it 
we don't diagnose it as rosacea. It's mm-hmm. just physiologic flushing. So they get embarrassed and they so get it's a very different thing to when I, I mean, I know some women who, or and men who have that thing where they have to speak or they have to do something in public and then suddenly it's that whoosh. That comes what is that, by the way? So a, that's just flushing, but it's basically um, it's like a, a staining, nerve and vascular, res- vascular response. Yeah. So yeah. actually, and, and one thing we didn't talk about, but that you can sometimes take for rosacea and then for that type of flushing are tablets, which are sort of, um, they're actually meant for blood pressure, but they can help reduce that response Keep to your, some yeah. extent. So again, usually you might not take them all the time, but if you're going to give a big speech and you have rosacea or you have a tendency to flush, you can oh. take one beforehand oh. just to help you know minimize that as much as possible. Um, there's been some evidence, by the way, now about Botox injections I was also about for to flushing. Say that, yes. Yeah. So I tried it. I tried it on my nose. <laughs> did it work? Um, it yeah. My nose I think can't span that. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> it did work. It, She's I not Rudolph, by I the think way. It's sort of wearing off a little bit now. So I'm wondering if you I had need to Botox make it do more. on your nose and it helped with the flushing. That's amazing. Yeah. So instead of diluted botox yes, diluted botox that's not injected as deep as traditional botox would be so normal botox when we're using it for lines and wrinkles would be you know injected into the muscle in this case we're injecting it intradermally so into the skin to probably control the flu- you know the sort of blood vessels that are dilating um, and i do think it's helped i just think you i don't know feasibly for a patient how often they would have to repeat it the studies say between 3 and 6 months but i may just have to do a little more <laughs> a little bit out. guinea pigging on yourself yes. as we yes. all do the, the other thing that I we had been talking about is that actually the new studies show that there's also some associations with other uh, potential medical problems. So I think it's important to sort of highlight those as well. So yeah. what, what are those? So um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of new evidence that shows that because rosacea is an inflammatory disorder, it is also linked to other inflammatory internal conditions. So cardiovascular disease is a big one. Some gastrointestinal diseases like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, even irritable bowel syndrome, uh, migraine, which also has to do with inflammation of the vessels in the brain, and then autoimmune disease, so things like celiac and even type 1 diabetes. Um, so it's it's hard because because things are associated, you can't necessarily figure out. But is know, it flagging? I mean, is it, is is your rosacea saying to you, che- you know, go get checked out? Yeah. So I think that you kind of have to take Taxi. the patient in the entirety. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say if a patient, you know, especially a fifty-year-old that comes in with new onset rosacea and has a strong family history of cardiovascular disease, well, then yeah, that person should be screened. That's me. Yeah. I mean, my parents both went with a. It's their heart. So I'm really, oh my God, every, every, every show, another red light. Comes up. Get it's a wonder I'm alive. Um, and now I'm really flushing. But both my parents did die as a result of cardiovascular. Um, yes. So I think for you, I would just, you don't have to rush <laughs> to the emergency I'm room. Gone. But, but I would say, Crains, you know, yeah, you're someone that should be paid more attention to in terms of screening for yeah. cardiovascular risk factors. Okay. So now I should be paid more attention to in general, something I've always felt. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's interesting. Gosh, how interesting. Fascinating what the body is showing you sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We know so little. That's the problem. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think every, every sort of decade or what time frame, there's always sort of something new that we're figuring out. And I think the microbiome stuff is really, really interesting. So I think that will definitely be the future of a lot of skin conditions, figuring out the link of sort of our internal microbiome, our external microbiome, and figuring out how to sort of harness that into treatment. So because we've talked about so many things, and now I don't want to be kind of, I don't want to blind you at home with, with science, right? So because I can only, I can't remember more than three things at any one time. <laughs> so give me three 
things, if you would, just to take away with me that if I've got rosacea or I look like I've got rosacea, these are the things I can really do to protect myself. First thing I would say is just less is more. So stick with things that are sort of formulated for sensitive skin. Let's say number one, and you don't need to buy a thousand different products. And a ven is on the high street. For sure. So you don't have to pay for super pricey stuff. Um, Number two would be try and identify your specific triggers. So I think keeping a log, especially if you have new onset rosacea, is very helpful because you can try everything under the sun. They may not work, but I think just giving sort of a a look over at what seems to cause flare-ups for you. And then the last thing I would say is if you can, obviously if you have the resources, to seek help from a professional if you need to because it is something that really bothers people. And there are definitely treatments. There's no cure, but there are treatments that can help. Brilliant. Thank you so, so much. So informative. Thank you so much, Alexis, for coming. Sure. Thanks Thank for you, having Alexis. me. Thank you, Alexis. It's been great meeting you. And can I have your dress and all of your jewelry? <laughs> and <laughs> Sophie, you were telling us a couple of weeks ago about the concerns you're having with bladder control. And you mentioned you were going to go have a little treatment done. How's that going? How, do you have any updates? Yes, yeah, certainly do have some updates, Mariam. It's been fascinating, actually, because the treatment that I had heard about, as I said, it's not it's not very nice. You know, sometimes I have no idea that I need to have a pee. And, um, for example, I get home quite often. I go to put my key in the door before I know it. I think I need to pee and I'm, it's, it's happening. There's no, there's no break between the thought and the action. And that's where I lack control. And as I think I mentioned, I had an operation about 10 years ago where I had something called a mesh put in, which was meant to help with bladder control. And it means that I have to, if I go for pee, I just have to sort of let the pee come. I can't push and I can't control in the way that some people can. So that kind of worked okay for a while. And then it just didn't. So a few weeks ago, I went to see a very nice woman called Miss Tanya Adib, who is based at the medical chambers in Kensington, which is also actually an incredibly nice place to go. It's a very friendly um a nice environment and she examined me that was quite shocking actually so so she gave me an internal examination and the first thing she said is I can't, I can't see your womb basically my womb my bladder and my pelvic floor were just had just dropped and she suggested to me that this is very common in this country because often when women after childbirth in this country we have very little kind of in the way of physiotherapy to put everything back as it should be, whereas in Europe it's much more common. So she used the word laxity more than I would have wished for, and I could talk about flushing. I was really flushing in that appointment. I was kind of embarrassed, and I was kind of a bit humiliated and a bit upset and a bit hopeful. So she suggested that we uh, do a series of three radio frequency and and finally that she would do PRP, which is the same PRP that you use to put in the face and the skin, and that she would inject that into where the G-spot is, and that that is what helps with the controlling the bladder. And I've had the first one, and that was fascinating. I went to, I went to see Tanya, sat in a chair, had my legs up, while she popped a, something that looked like a sort of fire lighter into me, and then spent the next 10, well, maybe 20 minutes kind of prodding me with it sounds really fun well do you know what the scariest for me I was terrified that I was going to like it so I was like don't enjoy this don't enjoy this that was a seriously because you're thinking well it's not every day that you're sitting with your legs up with a woman you know popping something up and down inside of you and like my god you do not want to in any way shape or form be enjoying that feeling and it went from 
oh god i hope i don't enjoy this to oh this is faintly uncomfortable and it ends up being it's faintly uncomfortable i would say but not impossible so that was what it felt like and that like 20 minutes and i looked at her and said this is weird and kind of embarrassing and she said of course it is and then once you're over that did you watch a movie or no i was talking to her like i'm talking talking to you mariam and she's going in and out and in and out and in and out and then and then at times the wand would be going up and pressing against my bladder and i think oh my god i'm gonna pee then it would be pressing against my bowel it'd be oh my god i'm gonna fart it was you know it's not it's not for sissies Mm. doing stuff like that and um, but not painful not painful no just uncomfortable and a little bit weird and she's incredibly nice all i would say is make sure that whoever the doctor you're seeing is somebody that you're prepared to be comfortable with and actually she's a great woman she's going to come on the show and talk to us about it when i finish but it was it's a thing you know it's a thing and it's and it's not it's believe me it's better than peeing on the doorstep of course it is. So do you feel any different? I mean, it's very early days and obviously your treatments has not been completed, but do you feel anything different so far? Yes, but I'd say about a week to 10 days after I did it, I got thrush. I was like, what is a woman my age doing with thrush? But I think it's because, it, you know, there's a lot of activity going on up there for me. And it, and I wrote to her and I said, I have, I'm slight, I have slight abdominal discomfort and I think I have thrush. I took caniston and she said that can happen. It's not uncommon. So that was, funny enough, the moment I texted her and said, I have it. And she wrote back saying, it's not uncommon. It went, you know, it was one of those doctor moments. But, but yeah, that can be a side effect of it. I mean, I'm very glad I'm doing it. But it's, and I, and I think that, you know, it's almost ridiculous that one woman should sit with another woman feeling embarrassed or inhibited or, but those things aren't always easy. And I'm such a kind of no. open person. I can imagine it's not easy to, to, I, I don't even enjoy or, you know, having my annual pap smear. No, and she took a smear. Like I hated it. That's when she couldn't see the word. <laughs> That's when the laxity word got used a lot. But I mean, the whole thing, you know, I'm not 21. I'm not 31. I'm not even 41. And so God knows what's going on up there. But it was quite reassuring that somebody can do something about it. And I did say to her, you know, how much of my uh, laxity will I get back? You know, what? how much is this going to improve elasticity? And she said, I mean, really a high statistic, which I think we'll let her talk about when she comes on the show. But a very, what I would call, hopeful statistic. That's excellent. Well, we really look forward to hearing the final outcome and having her join us on the guinea pig. Thank you all for listening and we'll be back in two weeks time. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the guinea pig podcast and do send in any questions you might have for Mariam or for myself. Bye. Bye. The guinea pig provides unbiased information to those who may be considering cosmetic surgery or even trialing a non-invasive treatment or product. We do not endorse the use of any product or procedure featured in this podcast and are not responsible for the outcome of any of the treatments featured on this podcast or damage caused in connection with any treatments or products. Should you decide to try any of the procedures, treatments or products mentioned in any episode of The Guinea Pig, you do so at your own risk. Always consult an independent and fully qualified medical professional if you are considering embarking on a medical procedure, irrespective of whether it's an invasive or non-invasive procedure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.